Well, good morning to each of you, and happy Father's Day to our fathers today. Our text today is going to come from the book of Genesis as we look at uh, the role of the father. We'll, we'll entitle this the uh, Guardian of the Garden. So turn, if you have your Bibles with you, to Genesis 2. Um, uh, or you can look on the screen, either one, I think. Genesis 2.15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, that is, cultivate it, and to keep it. That is to guard it. The Hebrew word shamar is used here in Genesis 2.15, translated in our English versions as keep. But the man was put here uh, in the garden to work or cultivate and to guard or keep. Uh, Shamar, the Hebrew word for keep, is also used in Genesis 3.24 where it says that the angel was put at the entrance to the garden to guard Shamar, the way to the tree of life. So the word keep means that Adam's assignment was to guard the garden, uh, protect the garden. Well, who would he protect it from? Uh, um, Genesis opens with an assumption that there is an evil one that we must guard our territory from. Uh, Then turn over to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Genesis 3 and verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... and it was a delight to the eyes... and the tree was desired to make one wise... She took of the fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. I underlined who was with her. So Satan has come into the garden in the appearance and form of the serpent, and he has bypassed the office of the headship of the man and gone directly to the woman, uh, perhaps thinking that if he can defeat the woman, then her defeat will bring defeat to the man. Uh, This is not uh, without precedent or intelligence. If If Satan can defeat the woman, oftentimes that leads to the defeat of the man, but it doesn't have to be so. Uh, So here uh, we see that Adam, who was given the assignment of guarding the garden as well as uh, maintaining the garden, did not evidently, did not keep the garden or guard it properly. And one other reference on this, I don't think we have, we don't have this one up here, but Numbers 3.32 uses the word shamar um, of the priesthood that guards the sanctuary. So the idea of guarding means 
that of preserving, assuming reverence for, um, a treasure, spiritual treasure that you are guarding. And Satan comes and bypasses Adam and he evidently does not fulfill this role. Now, I want to begin, though, by saying that Satan hates the family. And here he attacks the marriage of Adam and Eve. He attacks the family. God made, in Genesis 1, 26 and 7, God made uh, man or mankind, it's used generically here, in his own image, in Genesis 1, 27, uh, male and female, he created them. I, I think it's important to note that when God made man or mankind in his image, that image consists of male and female. Uh, and this is one of the reasons Satan hates marriage, is because man and woman, husband and wife, bring together masculine and feminine sides and unite them in love and unity. This reflects the image of of God. Here's three reasons why Satan hates the family. One, because the male and female uh, reflect the image of God. A man alone, masculinity alone, leadership alone does not. Sometimes God is pictured as feminine and as a mother in Isaiah. Uh, as a man is strong and uh, dominant and a leader. So God is a father. But as a mother is, is uh, gentle and nurturing and nourishing, sometimes God is depicted like that. It takes both male and female together to, full, to get a full-orbed picture of who God is and how God appears. And, and so Satan wants to divide that up and he, um, he will cause the woman to leave the man or man to leave the woman to turn on each other. He will cause two men to get married or two women to get married. None of those, none of those scenarios work for reflecting the true nature of God. Amen? Are you all with me on this? Or am I up here by myself standing alone in a sinking ship. Here's a second, second reason that Satan hates the family is because it illustrates the gospel. Ephesians 5.32, Paul says that uh, just as Adam, uh, God told Adam to leave, leave the parents, be joined to his wife, he said, I am speaking of Christ and the church. So Adam and Eve depict Christ and the church. And you have that little section in Ephesians 5. And Satan hates... Uh, marriage because marriage depicts Christ and His church. So that infuriates Him. And then a third reason He hates um, marriage is because Satan's just mean and proud of heart. One of the things that the Bible does teach about angels, and Satan is an angel, though he's a fallen angel, is that uh, angels were created to be servants of 
humanity. Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve those who are to inherit salvation? They are servant. They were created for the purpose of serving us. So you have to think in terms of somebody who goes to college and he gets his degree and he's got all his knowledge or he uh, maybe gets his master's degree and, and uh, his wife says, um, I need you to babysit. What? I, uh, this is beneath my dignity. This is beneath my education. I have all these skills and you want me to uh, change the diaper on a little baby. Uh, See, Satan would have felt like that was beneath him to serve us. See, they're all ministering spirits, Hebrews 1.14. God designed them to watch over us, to take care of us. Psalm 91 says that He gives His angels charge over you to protect you. But angels are mighty and powerful and have all these skills and attributes and speed and they're... Satan thought it was beneath his dignity when he looked at us and said, this is what I'm supposed to do? I'm not doing this. And some people even think, some scholars think, that that was the basis of his rebellion, is that God humiliated him by making him serve the unworthy, which was us. So for those reasons, Satan hates a marriage. Now, how did Satan attack Put this up here. How did how did Satan attack? By the way, the sound of a crying baby is beautiful. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Spirit every time one of them screams bloody murder. <laughs> that that means parents care enough to have them in church. And they're usually taking notes, but this time she's crying. Well, so. How did Satan attack the marriage? And he comes to Eve in chapter 3 and he says um, uh, in verse 4, you will not surely die. God said if you eat of that tree, you will die. Satan said you will not die. She looked at it and decided Satan's right, God was wrong, and she ate of the tree. He, He attacked by lying. In fact... When God said, if you eat of that tree, you will die, He got them to eat of it, and in that manner, He could be said to have killed them. That's what uh, Jesus meant in John 8, 44, when He says about Satan, Jesus said He was a murderer in the beginning. Well, how did He murder? By getting them to eat of the tree. And He has nothing to do with truth, because there's no truth in Him, And when he lies, he speaks of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of it. He couldn't tell the truth if it was standing in front of him. Satan cannot, whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. In fact, if you can ever detect Satan's voice, you know the opposite is true. Because he only tells a lie. And, uh, And by his lying, he kills us spiritually. And sometimes physically. Uh, here's an illustration, I think, of how Satan operates behind the scenes to kill by lying. And it's in the uh, uh, illustration of the abortion debate. I don't want to offend anybody here, 
But I want to tell you that over 40 years ago, the Supreme Court ruled that abortion and almost abortion on demand uh, with some statewide regulations, but uh, that is now legal. 40 years ago, since that time, 60 million innocents have been terminated. The woman who was in the original case was a young lady named uh, Norma McCorvey. And she sought out a lawyer and said to her, the lawyer's name was Sarah Weddington, and she says, originally I told the attorney, Sarah, that I had been raped. That was a lie. She said, I asked Sarah, my lawyer, if there was any place she knew of to go for an abortion. She said she didn't know of any place that was safe because everywhere was illegal. But that was a lie. My lawyer had recently obtained an illegal abortion herself and knew exactly where to go. But she evidently wanted a client, a plaintiff, to wind its way through the court, a rape victim, to present, finally get to the Supreme Court, and, yet, and, when, and she found one. And when it got there, the judges ruled on her behalf based on the fact that she was a rape victim and based on the fact that there wasn't anywhere you could really get an abortion. But the whole thing was permeated with a lie. And based on a lie, the courts ruled in her favor. The, the, the case only began in a lie. And 60 million have died. Today, Norma McCorvey has repented, turned from her life of sin, and sought God's mercy and found, found it and is a Christian operating actively in the pro-life movement. Jesus said He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to, he has nothing to do with truth. There's no truth in Him. And when He lies, He speaks out of His own nature. He lies, He kills by lying. So one of the things we have to do is we have to open up our heads and look at everything we believe and say, where did I get that? Where did I get that from the culture? Because Satan doesn't come directly and say, hi, I'm the devil. Here's something I want you to believe. No, he slithers in through something that is already familiar to you. A friend or a movie or a TV or an emotional story or something that will come to you and behind the scenes, Satan gives you an impression. And if you embrace it, and it's unscriptural, if you don't know the Bible, then you will believe a lie, and it will lead you away from God. So how, how did Satan attack? He attacked by lying. Now how did Adam fail? And let me give you three failures of Adam. And I, I thought about this, and I really don't want to cause men to feel guilty today. That's not my intent. I want to avoid that. But I remember one time uh, a preacher was preaching about his inferiority complex. And he said, one day I asked God why I feel so inferior. And he said, God spoke to me. He said, it's because you're inferior. <laughs> uh, I thought that was funny myself. But, uh, 
so if you feel guilty, maybe it's because you're guilty. Okay, that's, that's my point. So how did, Adam, how did Adam fail? And what can we learn from Adam's failure? First, uh, Adam failed from in the area of discernment. His calling was to guard the garden. He was to assume the presence of the enemy. And he was to be careful that that enemy did not come and, and entice his family away from obedience to God. And that is exactly what happened. So he failed in discerning the presence of the enemy. This is one of the things I find is that, that men do not take seriously the presence and power of evil in the world. There is a devil. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your spiritual life. He wants to destroy your worship. He wants to destroy your faith, destroy your testimony. Adam failed in the area of discernment. Second, he, did, he failed in the area of leadership. This is the thing that's remarkable. Adam is standing right there when Eve disobeys and he says nothing. Now, maybe he couldn't have gotten or just not choose the fruit and disobey God, but he could have said something. Um, Kingsley Brown, who is a law professor at Wayne State University in Detroit, wrote a book called Co-Ed Combat, uh, Evidence That Women Shouldn't Fight the Nation's Wars. Now, she's not a Christian. She's just a professor at Wayne State. But she argues on the basis of evolution that men are stronger and emotionally and psychologically not wired to follow women into danger or into combat. And I, I mean, I was just thinking, um, if, if, a, if I was a Marine and we're given orders to attack, if a little petite woman is out in front of me saying, come on guys, I don't know that I'd be that excited about, yeah. We're just not wired to follow women into combat. Now, that was what an evolutionary professor at Wayne State said. Well, the Bible already has taught us that the leadership of the home especially the spiritual leadership, is in the area of the husband. That's his assignment, to guard the garden. Men are not only not wired to follow women in combat, they're not wired to follow women, period. We are wired to get in front of women and take a bullet for them. That's what makes us feel good. <laughs> <laughs> it, you, uh, ladies, if your husband ever says, what, if your husband ever asks you, do you think I would die for you? Always say, absolutely. Yes, you would. You'd die for me in a minute, me and the kids. I can see you laying on the floor right now. <laughs> that will make them feel good. You know why? Because that's what, that's like, Ah, oh, yeah, 
I thought I would. <laughs> spiritually, the man is wired emotionally, spiritually, and physically to lead the family into the greatest battle for the souls of his family, and that is the spiritual war that constantly takes place. He will be primarily responsible to take the family either farther from God or away from God. Men, it is your role to ask the wife to pray with you, not wait on her to pray with you or ask you to pray with her. You take the initiative. Men, ask them what they got from the sermon today. Maybe not today in particular, <laughs> but on Sunday mornings. Add a few comments and insights of your own. How does this apply to us? Take the initiative in that. Concerning your children, monitor the movies they watch. When they say, can we go to the movies? Your question should be, what movie are you going to see? Well, I don't know. We're just going to go, uh, i got to know where you're going, what it's rated, and then look it up online. You guard your teenagers and your children. Can I go to uh, my friend's house? Who is it? Where do they live? What are they like? Why don't you have them come here? That's your job. And if they fuss and complain, when they get a little more mature, they will love you for saving their life. Don't let Satan fill the vacuum of your children's daily activity with the constant stream of violence and trash that comes through cable television and video games. Woo! Well, we're plowing close to the corn now. <laughs> Monitor what goes into the lives and minds of your children. And lead your children to Christ. Pray with your children. Remember, you are to guard the garden. The same word that is used of guarding is used of the priest who guarded the sanctuary. You are the priest in your home. The husband is the priest in the home. Bring them to church. Set the example by going, if need be, without them. Teach the way and show the way. Once again, I feel the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we feel the Holy Spirit quite a bit around this, this place. And men, be consistent. Day in, day out, week in, week out, summer, winter, blessing, adversity, Solutions, problems, poverty, riches, your faithfulness to God stands up and shines forth in the presence of your family as they watch your faithfulness to God. Men, I'm challenging you today. Adam failed to lead his family. He, he shifted into neutral. He went passive and was an observer. You cannot simply be an observer and save your family today.
You have to be active, involved, up front, in the lead, a bit aggressive, a little bit over the top. And then he was, there was a failure to engage the enemy once he knew his presence was there. This would be our third one, a failure to engage the enemy. If we don't recognize the enemy, if we don't know he's present, how do we engage him? Let me say a couple of things here. A lot of times the enemy comes and we have no clue where he's operating from. And uh, uh, some of you men here today, you couldn't tell me one instance in the last month where Satan's actually done something to you or said something to you or given you a lie to you or maybe a member of your family. Has he just left you alone? Listen, you have a marriage, you have an enemy that goes together. But what's happening is, I've, I've been, my house has been broken into about, I don't know, three or four times uh, over the past 10 years. I never one time saw the thief, but I know he was there. You know how I know? How? I had stuff missing. And it was stuff I wanted. Some of it ranged up to two or three thousand dollars. So I know there's been a thief here. Let me ask you about your treasures. Is your faith intact? Is your joy overflowing? Is your testimony pure and clean and clear? Is your family together? Are your children praying to God? Are you giving witness? What is precious and treasure that is suddenly missing? There's some things missing in my home. Yeah. John 10.10, the the thief comes but to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give life more abundantly. So I know the enemy comes because there are things missing in our life. He failed to engage the enemy because I'm not sure he even recognized him at this point. Or perhaps he did not see the danger at this point. Now here's a a question. Um, In fact, give me this 1 Samuel 15, 23. Look at this verse. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft uh, and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you from being king. Notice how authority over people comes from being under the authority of God. You rejected His word, that is His authority, so He's rejected you. That is, you don't have the authority to be the king. Now why does this happen? Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Now here's what happens when you disobey. Here are the boundaries. Here's the scripture. And we disobey the word of God. And we step out into a spiritual arena much like if we were participating in witchcraft. Now think about this. This is what this verse means. 
Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. When you know what is true and what is right, and you knowingly disobey that, it is the same equivalent spiritually of you participating in a seance or, or, or witchcraft, calling on evil spirits to give you guidance or uh, pronouncing a curse through the power of Satan or something along that line. Give me this next, uh, this is the stick man here. Uh, this is the happy Christian guy, okay? He dwells in the secret place of the Most High. He abides under the shadow of the Almighty. The roof represents being under the shadow of the Almighty, under the cross. And those arrows, uh, those are the enemy's thoughts and emotions that he tries to impose on us. By the way, uh, let, me, let me point some of these out. When Adam sinned, it says he, they were afraid, Genesis 3.10. So fear comes in. In Genesis 3.12, Adam said, uh, The woman you gave me made me eat. Blame comes in. Uh, In in Genesis 4.5, it says the children are angry. Anger comes in. In Genesis 4.7, God tells Cain, Sin is crouching at the door. So like like you're being, your children are being stalked by a lion. It's crouching at your door, God told Cain, after the sin. See, but right now he has none of that. He doesn't have the shame and the blame and the brokenness. and um, He's happy. You see, he's got the little smile. All right, give me the next one up. This is the ideal. He has the, the wife, and somebody said, why doesn't she have a face? I don't know. Uh, it, it was too much trouble. Uh, the children, I was going to put a lot more children, but I ran out of time. So there's your ideal family. The arrows come in, all the negative emotions and doubt and anger and attacks from the enemy. But he's abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. He's obeying the word of the Lord. But now what if he doesn't? Look at the next one now. But rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. So he walks out from under the protective covering of God. And now the arrows can get to him. He's exposed and vulnerable. Now this verse, 1 Samuel 15, 23, comes in the context of Samuel the prophet's words to Saul. Have you ever read the story of Saul? Saul is like, has days of normalcy, and then he goes into a maniacal stage. He suddenly gets suicidal. He gets murderous. Uh, He throws a spear at his own son. I mean, it's like, what is wrong with you? And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord departed, and evil spirits came upon him. See, he had departed from the word of the Lord. So Samuel said, Rebellion, your rebellion is like witchcraft. It's like you're out there calling on evil spirits. I know you don't actually call on demons to help you, But it's like that. It gives you that vulnerability so that your emotions will be hijacked by the enemy. Now, give me the the next one up. What if he goes and you say, because see, most husbands will want you to go with them. And they'll want you to join them in their departure from the faith. And they'll have all the reasons and 
Ladies, let me tell you, stay with God. Your commitment to Jesus Christ is greater than your commitment to your husband. And this, this last verse here, 1 Corinthians seven fifteen, here's what this says. If a husband or wife who isn't a Christian is eager to leave you, then it's permitted. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife should not insist that they stay, for God wants His children to live in peace. That if they decide to depart from you and from the faith, make sure that you stay with God. You can live without your husband. You can't live without your Savior. And God said, I will be with you. I will keep you. You stay under the protective umbrella of Almighty God. I'll be your father. I'll be your husband. I'll be your protector. I'll be your redeemer. I'll be your savior. I'll be your provider. And, and all those who are under you will be there too. Because they're under you and you're under God. And God wants His children to live in peace. This is the protection that He brings to us. And then one last uh, verse... What if you have departed from the living God? What, husbands, what if you have left Him and you want to come back? You've left Him and you took your family with you and now the whole family's messed up. And this is not uncommon. In fact, most families today are messed up. Man, oh, they're people. I... I want to give you a verse now that I think is beautiful. We're going through Second Chronicles on Wednesday nights, and I came across this verse just so fresh and beautiful. It's give me the number ten up. He says, and "This is the word of the Lord to you this morning, to all you men who want to return to the Lord. Do not be stubborn as your fathers were. Yield to the Lord. Come to His sanctuary. Serve the Lord." so that His fierce anger may turn from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn His face from you. Notice how if you return, verse 9, if you return, your children will find compassion. Now, I'm not sure how that works, but I think it has to do with the fact that there's a literal spiritual relocation in the presence of God. It's like a relocation. And, and those under you, when you are back under God, those under you will find their hearts mended and sweetened and transformed as well. Those who follow you when you follow God will follow your change. And so, uh, husbands, fathers, on this Father's Day, I don't want to put guilt on you, but I want you to be aware of the incredible cost and the incredible stakes that are before us. Lead your families. Saturday nights is time to prepare for Sunday morning. Guys, we got to get in the bed earlier tonight because tomorrow's church. You lead that. 
You prepare for that. You pray for your family, name by name, issue by issue. You're the priest. You're the guardian of the garden over which God has made you overseer. You have a tremendous task, and Satan wants to get to you. And he will get to you if he can. Sometimes he'll get to you through another, a loved one. But you're what he's after. But you guard your garden with your very life. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this morning, I pray, you, I pray that you will raise the level of urgency and alertness in the hearts of all of us as men, as fathers, as grandfathers, as husbands. Oh, mighty God, help us this day. Help us return to you with all our heart. Help us to come to you and be forgiven. Help us to be cleansed by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Save our lives. Save our wives. Save our futures. Save our marriages. Save our children. Save our grandchildren. And let them serve you and be a sweet offering and incense up to you. Almighty God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.